Episode 283, The Rant, Chad Marchong, Hofstra University rec legend, family man in the greater Atlanta area, family man in the greater Atlanta area during a Senate runoff and COVID. Shout out to Chad Marchong. If it wasn't for him some 15 years ago, perhaps I would have never played basketball again. Hell, I may never have officiated. In this pod, we catch up and discuss what he's been up to during the pandemic, the Senate runoff in his adopted home state of Georgia, his basketball exploits when we were younger, running, and what the future holds. All that and more, my conversation with Chad, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of, you're in Atlanta, right? Atlanta? Uh, yeah, Outstretch? I'm in Atlanta metro area. Okay, yeah. Atlanta metro area in Georgia. The state of Georgia <laughs> left me about a decade ago. Uh, one of my um, lifelong friends that I met uh, while I was in grad school at Hofstra University, somebody that which he claims that he didn't do, wrote me back into playing some basketball, probably planted the seed somehow, some way to uh, get me to start reffing because you, you made me get involved in a game of basketball. But um, uh, it's my dear friend. I haven't heard from him in a while, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, Mr. Chad Marchong. How are you, my friend? Wonderful. Good to talk to you, Ralph. Good, yeah, to, man. Good, good to hear from you. Yeah, and we're also taping this on December 29th, a couple of days before the new year. I was just thinking about this, man. It's... um. What a crazy year, first and foremost, and, and we'll get into how your year shaped up. But um, I can't believe there was like two months of goodness and then just <laughs> nine months of the sky falling and it continues to fall every day, uh, man. But how you I don't do- know. I, I, gotta, I have to debate that. I, got, I, have to debate, I have to debate the two months because, you know, I heard on an earlier podcast and, and you, you discussed this, uh, you know, we, we had the great David Stern who resurrected, you know, uh, NBA basketball in the 1980s. Uh, made made a lot of this marketable. So we lost him. And, you know, the first time I've ever paused on anyone famous passing away was Kobe Bryant. You know, I just remember, like, someone texting me, and I'm hearing about it, and I'm just like, man, I cannot believe this This is actually happening. Now, you know, I'm not a Kobe fan. I was never a Kobe fan, but I, I recognized what he, he, he gave to the game, um, and I recognized a lot of his, you know, his, his traits. So for me, that, that, that kind of, you know, kind of stopped me in my tracks. Um, and that kind of kickstarted my 2020. <laughs> yeah, that, that did for me too. In fact, I was at the Gauchos gym in the game. And I remember one team was up by 30. It was like a showcase of uh, two teams out of state. And yep. the coach that was up by 30 points, he comes up to me and he's like, yo, 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 ref, come here, come here. And I'm like, what's up with this dude? This guy's up by 30 points. I know he don't want to talk to me. He's like, yo, yo, Kobe died. I was like, what's he talking about, man? I thought he was talking crazy. But then yeah, right, after, right after that, they had a moment of silence and um, our, uh, our greatest fears were realized. And then, of course, everything just completely upended. And of course, you know, I think the thing that uh, you and I unified, aside from all of the similarities that we've had all this time, since you've been a part and, and been in the uh, Georgia Atlanta metro area is the coronavirus. And I'm sure you've had your own experience. So first and foremost, I wanted to ask you, how are you holding up with the coronavirus? How's your family doing? And when was the moment, if you go back to those early days in March, when was the moment that you took all of this really serious? Well, this, so first off, 
we're doing great, right? So I, I would say that, you know, we're definitely a lot, a lot more fortunate than others. Uh, we're recognizing that. We're grateful. I'm hoping that everyone keeps their head up and um, things, things look uh, better for them moving forward. I saw that, you know, some things were, were signed or getting ready to get signed into place. So I hope that people, um, you know, funding-wise and, and, and all of that good stuff falls into place for people. So uh, we, we're doing fine. You know, for me personally, everything has been, been great. Been taking advantage of uh, just sitting around. I'm in grad school right now. Took a few extra classes that um, I t- typically wouldn't have taken because I'm just sitting around. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm going to be finishing up a lot sooner, moving on to other um, grad school endeavors. Uh, so I, I don't want to, you know, pull anything out of the bag yet. But so everything has been good um, in terms of like schooling, and this is something that is just uh, unique to our situation. Was I was homeschooling our kids. Right. And, um, you know, when everything flipped, it was just, you know, just continuing on with what we're doing in school. I know that people had a lot of challenges with their kids from distance learning and things like that. But for us, it was it was pretty uh, a smooth transition. So um, so I would say that, you know, we, we've been really fortunate in, in our particular situation. Mm. But I knew that things were going to get really tough at the end of December coming into the new year. I listened to the New York Times, um, the daily every every morning. And um, they've been they've been like they were like little little notes that they were talking about with the coronavirus in China. Um, and as we got into the new year, because I knew it was airborne, um, all it took was, you know, a couple of people here in the United States to to have it for it to be passed on. And, and um, in March, it got really serious. Um, and I knew that, you know, this was going to be a long haul. So um, things things are starting to look, you know, we're starting to see the, the rainbow, uh, you know, the sunlight. So hopefully, um, you know, in the next few months, things get better. Well said. And I listened to that same podcast and um, I, I even have it as a playlist on Spotify because, you know, it's it's really trippy to listen to those things going back. I mean, there was the first instance of a podcast that they had about the coronavirus was like January 13th. And when you hear it, I don't know if you remember that one when they were talking about that journalist in, in Wuhan, China. And then they had the doctor that was like a, a martyr to it. When you listen to it in in retrospect, it it sounds kind of eerie and prescient of what was to come. And, you know, I just think that's the hubris of people from the United States. We're like, man, that ain't going to happen to us. That's 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 China's thing, man. That that ain't. And not only did it happen, it was it it upended us uh, completely. Um, Yeah, I think I think I was like uh, I was I was probably a a lot more optimistic because I was like, oh, man, they're just going to have a vaccine like it's happening in China. You know, there, there were a lot of like reports coming out of like Iran. And things like that, you know. So, so I was like, "Oh man, they're they're just going to find the vaccine. It's, it's they're going to figure it out before it comes here." So, so I think you know, it's a, it took a little bit longer than than I expected, but it's a lot sooner than than a lot you know a lot of people expected to. Yeah, and according to the New York Times, I think the the fastest vaccine that's ever come out was four years, and that was the mumps. So it is it's weird because it's like we stumbled on our coronavirus response, especially uh, nationwide. But in terms of the response of making the vaccine, I think it's been a, a scientific breakthrough of how fast it was. But, you know, during this whole time and, you know, before I even asked that question, I did want to talk about uh, the protests that have been happening, because I, I know that there was one that was around your area, that the whole Wendy's drive through. Um, and of course, George sure. Floyd, which is really something that crystallized everyone nationwide, especially colored people like like you and I. Did you participate in any of the protests? I did not. So I have younger children and for me to go out there physically was definitely going to be a risk for myself and my family. We definitely participated from a distance, had some discussions at at home, had a lot of discussions with people that were not my race (laughs) about, you know, uh, my thoughts and my feelings and my experiences growing up, things that I currently still deal with today, things that my children will continue to have to deal with. So, So hopefully imparting them with you know, a little bit of experience from outside, a little bit of empathy um, and understanding. And I hope that, you know, that goes a longer way. But in terms of getting out there physically, you know, we, we watch from a distance. If we were younger, um, we would definitely been out there. Um, but, you know, got to got to keep a good watch on my family here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I continue urge you to to stay safe in, in all the things that you're doing, especially in that regard. Final question I wanted to ask you in, in this part is um, obviously the, the Senate runoff is about to happen um, and that's going to uh, determine uh, the Senate seat. Uh, I know Stacey Abrams has been a champion of, you know, just getting out to vote. What's the landscape like in Georgia? Not to get too political, but is it, <laughs> is it something that that's, that's really talked about around there? It's, it's a, it's a big topic. It's a big deal out here. I can't, you know, I cannot watch a YouTube video 
without seeing one of the uh, the current the current folks that that are part of the elections uh, can't 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 see one of their ads. You know, I'm on TV and you know I see more ads. Um, you know, I'm getting phone calls. I'm getting text messages. So uh, so it's it's definitely a, a big deal out here. Stacey Abrams has done a lot in in motivating and mobilizing voters here in Georgia, which is which is amazing. What I would say is, you know, for me, predictability, I, you know, I, I always thought Georgia was a was a purple state. I didn't think it was going to flip this election year. Stacey Abrams did a wonderful job of, of mobilizing people. And, um, you know, it's still debatable, right? <laughs> we had officials come out and say, like, you know, Georgia went a certain way. People are still debating that. But, you know, they, they did a really good job of turning out voters. And I'm hoping for the special, you know, runoff elections that continues to happen. Um, it's been it's been really challenging for me to go out and vote. There's been long lines and things like that. I know that um, that's been on the news as well. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of discussion happening here. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. Uh, I can't believe how much of an old man I am. All I do is uh, edit podcasts and watch <laughs> CNN and read the New York Times. But um, out of this whole, let me t- tell you this. I you know CNN like I was joking with someone the other day. I was like CNN has made so much money off of me during the election week. You know, <laughs> it was just nonstop. Like I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. It was just it was just on in the background all the time, just waiting for you know the the official or or whatever you know. Know, that we we predicted this state, you know, to, to, to go a certain way. So, um, you know, I've been I've been a lot more on CNN than I would like to, but hopefully a lot of that slows down, you know, in the future. I don't think it's going to slow down for me, man. I, and I just think about like, if it was the same time when we were our age, like I would never watch CNN ever, ever, ever. And it's like, <laughs> and, and I remember I was um, doing a podcast maybe about three months ago and um, two, two gentlemen that I was uh, doing a podcast with, they they had two screens and they were watching college football. I was like, wow, I used to do this. I used to yeah. I used to not watch CNN all day. Like I know all right. the hosts. I know it's 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 too much, man. Um, John King is my boy. He's he's my boy. He's uh, he's like you know he was he was able to navigate us through everything. Yeah. Um, after this whole time of the coronavirus, the protest, and um, all of the voting thing that's happening in Georgia, what do you think you learned about your whole self and during this whole time? Well, I learned that, um, you know, people have different uh, mindsets about how other people uh, are, are treated, right? What I definitely saw here and people that I've had conversations with was that they, they definitely, uh, there's a lot of learning that still needs to happen, right? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that don't really uh, have the same experiences that other people have. And um, I think that, you know, uh, if people are open minded and they continue to want to learn more, um, people like myself and like you uh, will be willing to to share some of your experiences and some of my experiences. So that way that, you know, they get a better understanding of everything that is going on. I think that there's still a lot of work to do, mm. you know, and it's just not, you know, everything is systemic. Right. So mm. it's not just some of the, the things that we're protesting about, but there's a lot more that, you know, that that needs to happen things, you know, economically, from an educational perspective, you know, there, there are a lot of things that just needs to, um, to be looked at and, um, and revised. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, I mean, hopefully that people are aware and, you know, it also depends on what you watch, what you read. Um, to me, I like to see things that, uh, don't necessarily agree with my viewpoints because I like to see things with a skeptical eye so I can have, you know, a totality of, of how things are. And I think you're the same thing. And, you know, I, I'd be remiss to, to not explain how I met you. I, I met you, um, you know, at the help desk at Hofstra University and, I just remember we struck up a conversation and a friendship that um, that lasted for a very long time. I, I can just remember that time when we were in the basement. We were talking about similar books. I was like, wait a minute. This guy, this guy's just like me. <laughs> it, actually, it actually started before then. It actually it actually started on my interview. Right. So I, came, I went into the interview and it was a group interview at the time. And you weren't there. I think you were on vacation. And I came in and, and they asked the question, what book are you reading now? And I said, you know, I couldn't think of anything right now. I don't even, I didn't even remember what book I was reading mm-hmm. at the time, but I did reference one of my favorite books is uh, Thinking Real Rich. And, um, and they, everyone in the room paused and they're just like, that's what's Ralph, that, that is what's Ralph reading right now. That's what he's reading right now. <laughs> and I'm like, who's this Ralph? <laughs> right. So, um, so fast forward to when you came back from vacation, actually they put me in the same room as you um, when I first started. And I think you were on vacation again at that time when I first started 
Um, but when you finally did come in, you know, that's when we sparked a conversation. We, you know, we shared similar interests and, and the type of, types of books. I, I think you read a lot more than I do. I think you read like three or four times more books than I do. But um, but we, we had similar themes in some of the books that we read and we could have similar conversations mm-hmm. of, of some of the content. Yeah, and I do remember you were an early champion of when I first started this podcast thing. How surprised are you that this, for me, took a whole life of its own doing referee rant the podcast and, you know, being a ref? Yeah, that's, you know, that's super interesting. I, you know, so the first thing, you know, thinking about it, it's like I knew you were you were deep into to sports, right? So when we first met, um, you know, you did the flag football thing, you did the basketball thing. I, I remember you used to go to the gym first thing in the morning to work out. Uh, you, you actually turned me on to, to running long distance. So, you know, I knew you were always into sports. Or, you know, you coached a volleyball team. So, so, you know, making the shift over to refereeing, um, was definitely a surprise. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh man, Ralph is going over to, to refereeing. It was a surprise because of the type of player that you were, right? You were always the the kind of player that was always challenging, you know, situations, right? So if you felt like the situation wasn't right, especially for your favor, you'd always challenge it. So, I was, you know, I was always thinking like, you know, if Ralph is going to be like, in the game and he had to talk to a ref, you know, wouldn't he be challenging every like call? And now he's the ref. <laughs> no, no. That is so weird. So weird. It's weird. But, but um, it's good. It's good. You know, it's good. It's, it's fitting. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it keeps me involved in the game. I'll tell you what it does. It, it makes me not want to play, but I'll tell you what does make me want to play. The fact that I can't ref because I'm not in the NBA. I'm not in division one, but it just makes me want to work on my jump shot. And when I think of jump shots, I think of Dan Graves and I think of Chad Marchong, like eternally, I'll always think of you two um, when it comes to jump shooting. But, you know, I think that's how we started aside from our love of books and, and learning and, and trying to listen to different people's perspective. I think we are always going to be deeply rooted in the game of basketball. And having said that, just talk about where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school and in college? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so my first love sport was cricket. So so my family's from Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, I lived there for, for uh, a couple of years when I was younger. Um, and I played cricket when I was when I lived there. I, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> I thought I was I thought I was pretty good. So when I came to, to live back in New York, I got into baseball. Um, and baseball was my first sport here in this country um, that I really enjoyed playing. The, the problem with with playing baseball, and I grew up in, in Far Rockaway, Queens, was there was really no place to play. There was really not a lot of organization when it came to playing baseball. There were a couple of things here and there, but there wasn't anything that my parents could have put me into that that was going to be sustainable for me to play baseball. And then you needed a bunch of players. You needed all the equipment to get things going, the bats, the gloves, so on and so forth. So that that became really difficult, especially, you know, in, in the winter months and things like that. Um, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, I don't even know where this came from. I started to enjoy basketball. You know, the Knicks, New York Knicks was, was something that I enjoyed watching on television um, and then, you know, all of a sudden I'm playing basketball in the park, you know, my brother's calling me to, to go down to the park and play basketball. And, and the thing that I loved about basketball is that I, we could play at any time, summer, winter, you know, fall, spring, didn't matter. We used to play on ice, you know, snow, <laughs> we used to play when it was hot and humid. Um, you know, so, so it was just, it was all the time indoors, outdoors, um, really didn't matter. Uh, and then as I got older in life, uh, running, uh, became something that was, a really a real passion for me. Mm. Now, I always wanted to ask you this, and I don't think we ever really talked about this, but, you know, when, when I watched you shoot, I was like, man, I wish I could shoot like that. And that's not to say I couldn't shoot. I just was a reluctant shooter, especially at the time when I met you. I, I was reluctant to play basketball. How did you develop that jump shot over time? Practice. <laughs> Practice, man. It was, it, you know, it's it's hours of going to the park, with my brother or by myself and just shooting, you know, just, uh, starting, starting from the front of, front of the rim, you know, trying to practice, making it in a couple of times, getting comfortable with the ball and and the hoop. Um, and then working my way out and just keep, keep on practicing. I would sit there with my brother. He would, you know, swing me the ball, pass me the ball. Um, and then I would just shoot it. And then, um, you know, when the games came, I was really good as, as being a good spot up shooter. Right. Um, but over time people got used to that. So I had to work, develop, different aspects of shooting, whether it was a turnaround jump shot, a fadeaway, you know, a couple of dribble shot, you know, a crossover shot. I started to work on those as I got early, uh, older, but, you know, it's just practice. Every, you know, it's just 
every every day, you know, I would go in and just practice. I remember going to Hashra, um, <clears throat> like on, on my lunch breaks uh, and, and shooting and things like that. So so that way I can, you know, be ready for the game. But, you know, everything just came with practice. Yeah, I just always thought that that was like super boring. And at the same time in the flip <clears throat> is that I had like two columns at my house. And, and for the longest, I didn't have a basketball hoop. So hmm, wonder why I was good at passing. You know, I, I always had that connection with you with shooting it. And I'll always say, like, if there's a Mount Rushmore of me, uh, my favorite jump shooters that I've ever played, Chad Marchong is on that. I would hope that I'm on a Mount Rushmore of uh, point guards that pass you the ball, I hope. Yeah, I, well, I, I really appreciate being on your, your Mount Rushmore. Um, you and you and my one of my really good friends, Fernando, were the best passers that I've ever played with. And, you know, and it wasn't passing, like, to be fancy. He was, he was fancy um, in, in, like, Kind of like a Steve Nash way, right? You were you were good at finding people in their right spot, mm. um, and I I enjoyed playing with you from a point guard perspective because you know we <laughs> I remember uh, with like it was the game right before you went to Arizona, and um, you know we I think we we found our groove playing together as a team. I remember I don't know if the ball came off a rebound or someone threw you a bad pass, but you kind of volleyball smacked it to me. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow, all right, <laughs> this is what we're doing today, right?" <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I, I nailed, I, I nailed that shot. I was like, "I have to, I have to nail the shot for Ralph." He, he threw me one of the illest passes <laughs> that I've ever had in the game before. You know, we're playing volleyball and basketball at the same time. Crazy. So I just, you know, I, you know, you, you, you're definitely one of the best passers that I've ever played with. Man, that makes me feel good. And, and I think it's probably a shock to my audience that I had a former life playing basketball because everyone identifies me as an official. I did want to go back to those uh, glory days that we had at Hofstra University. I think of, you know, those times that we played. I remember Abdullah, man. That guy was one of the greatest overall <laughs> short Jam- <laughs> Jameer Nelson type of point it. guards. That, and they, they had and that. he always wanted to. He always wanted me to be him, and I, you know, and he, he wanted always wanted to see me, and I was like, I'm like, bro, I'm not that, I'm not, I'm not like you, I'm not that fat, you know. So I don't know if you ever noticed he he has he has a brother that I used to play with all the time for when I used to take classes at Hashra when I had my undergrad with Hashra, you know, they would you know they would always come together, but I knew his brother uh, really well. We you know we connected really well, and um, Abdul used to always tell me his brother was better than him. And I'm like, no way. Your brother can't be better than you. If your brother's better than you, then then what is he doing not playing like, you know, professional basketball? <laughs> you know, so that I thought that was just like really interesting with with that duel. Would you agree? Would you agree with him that his his brother was better than him? I think that you know we always want to give our older brothers credit. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna say I don't know because I'm I'm really I'm really I was really cool with his brother, so I I really don't want to <laughs> say that Abdul. But Abdul was a beast, man. Like I was, you know, I was never afraid to play with him, but I always like hated that he wanted me to, you know, wanted to guard me and and me to guard him. Mm. <laughs> So I want to set the scene at that time. I remember my undergrad uh, basketball was like in and out of my life at that time. And then, you know, during grad school, I had that whole transformation right before I met you of starting to read books. I'll tell you, basketball was just kind of like the last thing on my mind. But you and Devin, not your brother, but uh, the one that used to work at the help desk, somehow mm. coaxed me to to go to the rec. And I was like pleasantly surprised. Like, you know what? I kind of want to play. I don't there. remember that. I, I don't remember that story. I thought we were I thought we were convincing Devin to come play with us. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to play. They were like, come on, come yeah. on, play. And, and I don't yeah. know how like it caught wind. But just talk about those glory times playing with Dan, playing with Abdullah, playing with that, that white boy that used to run off the screens that ran cross country and, and all those other characters that we played with those were those were good times man listen i i think that you know professionally like my career was was held back a little bit because i was so i I enjoyed so much going to play basketball after work um at hashra right i think that i missed out on some professional opportunities to continue (laughs) to have like these these basketball moments in my life (laughs) so i i really enjoyed it i think that for you and I, Ralph, like, I think we were trying to figure out, like, get a team together, right? Mm. So, you know, with pickup basketball, and everyone knows this, like, you lose, you're off the court, right? You win, you stay on the court, right? So at Hashra, it was just this one court. We used to play uh, half court. It was just one court that was really popular where all the good players would play. Um, we would get there early. So, you know, it was cool. We would be on the court a few times. But as it started to get later, you know, some of the better players would come in. 
So, you know, we would never want to lose. We would want to stay on that court for hours. And, you know, the two of us were, were great together. What we were trying to do is find two other players that we can con- consistently play with. And, um, you know, once we found those two players, we could be on the court for hours. We can be on the court for, you know, for, for 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, right? <clears throat> and um, once we lose, we'll go home. But, you know, it, it was great. And then we found Dan, right? Dan, I think, was in high school. Um, his dad used to, to <laughs> Dan will probably kill me for this, but his dad used to, you know, do laps at the top of, of Hashra. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would bring in Dan over the weekends and sometimes after school and things like that. And then we just we were like, Dan, why don't you come, you know, come play with us? Dan had a had a wicked jump shot. I mean, like, this, you know, he, he that way better than I was. Um, and he was a lot more organized, you know, with, with playing basketball. So I really enjoyed playing with Dan. And then he started to come to Hashra, things like that. So. You know, it, it was a good time, man. And then you left me. Then yeah. you left. You went to Arizona <laughs> um, <laughs> for a couple of a year or so, whatever it was. And uh, I had to go find a new team. And, you know, we dominated. You know, I don't know. I don't know if anyone would, like, debate me on that. But we dominated. Um, and then you came back and, you know, continued to dominate. Yeah, yeah. And then you left. And then yeah. after that was, uh, to me, and I, I don't think I ever, did I tell you this? It, it was probably the craziest that Hofstra Rec Center has been ever. And it was yeah. It was so sad for us to always think in retrospect, like Dan used to always bring it up because there was this other guy named Steve who had 40 hmm. foot range. I mean, he, he right. could shoot from anywhere. So if I had you three and we always yeah. were, were trying to find a fifth player. So we would always right. say, man, if Chad was here, I mean, it's, it was already game over. But, um, right. you know, I'm sad that you didn't see the evolution of that. And a couple of things broke. For one, the whole law school they all were good at basketball for some reason that year. And also the football team, they ended up folding. And a lot of the kids, right. they ended up being able to be released from their Division One situation and go to another school without any penalty. Or you could end up just staying at Hofstra University and retaining your scholarship without playing. A lot of them ended up doing that, but they ended up just playing basketball all the time. So it was like a confluence of circumstances. I would have loved it. I would have yep. loved it. Mm-hmm. I love the competition. You know, like we used to, I remember back in the day, we used to play against the Jets. Well, I don't know if it was a practice. But I mean, like, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like Curtis Martin, right? right. But, you know, or, or Wayne Corbett. It was, you know, I don't know who it was, but we used to play against them. And, and uh, we used to play against Hasha football team when they had a, had a team. Um, and we enjoyed, like, I enjoyed that. You know, like I enjoyed playing against these super athletic people, you know, that were physical uh, because it helped me get my game better. Uh, so I, I would have enjoyed playing in, in that setting. Um, and I would always enjoy playing against the law students, man. Like, you know, they would, they would come with their, you know, their, their two teams. <laughs> they, they would sub in a pickup game, yeah. you know? So I would always enjoy playing against them. Um, and I love the competition. Yeah. And also, um, I, I just think that, I think the difference between when we played versus when you, when you weren't there, it was that we, it was, it was nothing but full court. It was no half court yeah. at all. And, yeah. uh, you know, I yeah. wish, which is, which is Interesting, which is super interesting because when we were playing, like people were just so, you know, opposed to playing full court, yeah. right? They were just like, no, I remember, you know, we were trying to get a couple of full court games going and everyone's just like poo-pooing on it. And um, now it's flipped where, you know, they do nothing but play full court, which I, which I think is a which I think is a good game. Yeah, well, it, I think it reflipped to no one goes there anymore. So I, I don't think oh, you're missing that's, anything that's right now. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> do you still play now at all? Last time I picked up a ball was probably about probably about a year ago. Um, oh, you know, th- things have flipped. Yeah, it's, it, things have flipped. You know, it's it, I'm I'm more uh, you know into the family life and things like that. So haven't been playing as much um, as as much as I would like to. That's understandable. I I know that you had your whole odyssey of running, which I was pleasantly surprised because I always felt like anyone that would listen, man, I'm like, man, there's so many benefits to running. Just talk about your journey. You know, running running marathons. Uh, well, I only one, ran one marathon, and that was the New York City Marathon. That's the only one you need to <laughs> um, run. The only one you need to run. That's all, yeah, that was it. I said, well, I mean, Boston is definitely you know up there, Chicago, but you know, you know, the top top tier is definitely um, New York City. Uh, so it started. I, it started with you and and Frank. You remember Frank? Of course, Gallo. <laughs> oh my God! So it started with you and and Frank. I remember you just saying, so when I first started, I think you guys finished up a half marathon and you were like sore. And I was like, hey, Ralph, let's go play basketball. And you're like, I can't play today, man. I can't move my legs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you still played. <laughs> yep, so um, that's how much you love basketball. 
also you were you were trying to convince me to to you know get into the running and things like that. And I think it was it took after you left to go to Arizona for me to to finally pick it up. I did a five k. I think I think we ran that five. We might have ran that five k together. I think so. Um, uh, I know we ran a half, a Long Island half together. So so I know that we ran together, but. You know, that's when I started to get into it. And there's just so many benefits to running, right? Like, obviously, the health, you know, part of it, but also mental part of it, too. It's good for mindfulness, right? Mm. It's good to be out there and kind of either you're listening to a podcast, you listen to your favorite music, or you just have nothing. And that's what I did for a while was have nothing. I mean, it was good to, like, kind of be in your thoughts and things like that while you're running out there. Um, and just so gratifying, you know, when you when you finished up something that you, you felt like was, was not achievable, you know, just a few weeks ago you're able to do that, you know, and just being able to complete the marathon for me was, you know, kind of a bucket list thing. <clears throat> so, you know, it, 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 it kind of fills some of your accomplishments in, in, in your life and in your journey. Yeah. I think it's something that's like super important that I still hold near and dear to my heart. Do you still run? Do you, at this run, still? Do you run still? Do you I've still been, run? Man, I've been going in and out, but uh, I think January 1st, I'm going to start like slowly getting into it and seeing uh, yeah. what happens. But um, yeah, I, I primarily do like jump roping because it's like you can just stay there and my kids are right there. So I don't, it's it's kind of hard to run five miles away and then come, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's, I understand. It's not, I get it. Yeah. It's not conducive to, it. to life anymore, but um, you know, Listen, I, I had to get, I had to get a running stroll. Like I had two kids, so I have to, you know, I had to get, first I had a single stroller for my, my daughter and then I had a double running stroller for both of my kids and mm-hmm. my kids are too big to be in the running stroller at this point. But you know, now, now I'm back to like, you know, do I take my kids with their bike or, you know, do I like half run with them and, you know, drop them back home and I go back out, you know, so it's, you know, it's kind of this juggling act now with the kids, um, you know, and having a family and stuff like that when you're running, but, you know, you still got to find the time to do it. And, um, you know, I'm trying to find any, you know, slice, slice in my schedule to go out there and run. Yeah. Maybe we'll start a little, a little text message uh, loop like, oh, yo, I ran three miles and then maybe it'll, cause you're always somebody that I always think of like. I used to do something back in the day. Maybe you're going to be the one that kickstarts me into doing that thing that I used to do back in the day. So maybe I'll just lean on you with that for, for some more magic. Listen, um, man, I have, yeah, I, you know, there are people that I work with that, you know, I'll always, well, they know, you know, they know that I run. So they're always like, hey, Chad, you should like do like this virtual 5K, you know, so they're always sending me something. And I like met someone at my job the other day that, that's like an ultra marathon. And she's like, hey, you should, you know, you should try to do ultra marathons. And I'm like, if I can't, like, I can't run that far, <laughs> you know, like maybe one day I'll be able to do that. But, you know, it's cool that you kind of build this network and you have this community of people that, that like kind of support your ideas and support you uh, with your goals and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. Ultra marathon and a virtual ultra marathon sounds like something that <laughs> doesn't sound like a good combination <laughs> at all. That sounds like you, you have like... um you know those free chips that you get with soup at the Chinese yeah. takeout, it, and you don't got yeah. duck sauce. You got you got soy sauce. Like that's all you got. Like that's what that sounds right. like to me. Um, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so, what, funny thing that you said. I remember that you were from Far Rockaway, and I think about all those times that I ref there, and I'm like, bro, mm-hmm. this is so far, and this is like so much smoke. But I love it. I love it because you cannot match New York City energy when it comes to basketball. And for me, you know, I think refing in the city um, is is such a treat to me because even though I was good in my day, I never played like at the highest levels of when I was in high school, when I was in college. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to referee some of these amazing, amazing athletes um, is is such a joy to me. But, you know, I did want to ask you because we've never played within that context. We've never played an organized game as much as how much basketball we played, um, all things considering. What was your perception of refs growing up this whole time of like, you know, just watching the NBA, your your experience playing, and, and even now, what's your experience and what's your perceptions of refs? Yeah, well, I do have to correct you. We did play in one organized game together. You were playing with your Cannon team. You called oh me down because you had a couple of play, missing players. I came off the bench. I think we were, you know, I was like riding in the bench. And I, I might have, you know, <laughs> I, I, did some, I did some scoring. I played well. I didn't get the call back. I'm like, why didn't, you know, I guess I, I didn't work for Cannon. I wasn't the, time, the but... captain, man. I wasn't the captain for that team. So don't, <laughs> don't give me that. No, that's all good. You guys had good players. So I understand. So I played in high school, played a little bit in high school. Um, I played a lot of organized when I was younger, played, played a few things in college where it was organized, um, you know, nothing, nothing big time. Um, I did a lot of coaching. So um, I, I coached at multiple levels, uh, multiple age groups. 
And, you know, it's certainly different, you know, as a player when you're working with a ref, right? When you're, you're um, in communication with a ref, like, you know, sometimes the, the ref may miss a foul or miss a call or miss something. And as a player, you, you try to control your emotions and, you know, you want to make sure that the, the ref understands that, you know, either they miss it or they didn't miss it or something like that. From a, from a coaching perspective, you know, the game is a lot larger, right? So it's not, it's not just this one play unless it's the plays happening at the end of the game. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, how does this play turn into the next play that turns into the next play? So for me, it's, you know, I, I've always had the utmost respect for referees as a coach because I understand they can, they can make or break, you know, um, the game. So you never, you know, for me, I never wanted to interrupt, you know, the referee's momentum in terms of calling the game. You know, there were definitely moments where I felt like, you know, uh, the call was, was made in a certain way that, that I didn't agree with. But overall, I, I always had the utmost respect. It's a, you know, it's a difficult job to be a ref and, and to try to call the game unbiased and, you know, from an unbiased perspective. So, you know, I, I certainly understood that. Um, and, I, and then I always respected, you know, the, the work that the ref did out there. Mm. Now, so having said that, do you think you would ever consider refing yourself? No, no. I used to ref practices. And, you know, I don't – it wasn't something that – so for me as a, as a basketball player, you know, I didn't, you know, this, I didn't really talk much unless I needed to talk. So for me, it was cool. You know, I could deal with a player like myself, um, but the players that I would play with, you know, it was a totally different story. I would probably be, you know, throwing players out the game if I was a ref. So, you know, I definitely have to work on my, you know, my emotions or, or, you know, or things like that. Man, I feel like you would really like it. And, and I, I guess like this is the deja vu of, of running again. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. You'd be running. Uh, you'd be back in playing basketball. You wouldn't get subbed out and you'd get paid for it. I don't know. It sounds like a good fit for you. It sounds like a good fit, man. If I still lived in New York, I'd definitely consider it. Here in Georgia, you, you, you're basically driving <laughs> everywhere, right? So um, so for me, it's, you know, it's taking it's taking time away from my personal life. You know, so I, I don't know if I'll do it in Georgia, but I, I would if I lived in New York, I'll definitely do it. Mm. After everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a person? As a as a person, yeah. Um, just, wow, you... <laughs> that's a deep that's a deep question. I, I mean, it's, you know, it, it sounds so simple, but it's it's so deep. <clears throat> as a person, wow. You know, I'll tell you this, Ralph. Like, I always have conversations with my brother about you know things that some qualities and some attributes in my life that that I, I take with me you know, in, in, in the professional life. So even in my family life is, uh, is basketball, right? You know, basketball is a team game first and foremost, right? And you're always trying to figure out like, how do you get other people involved? And for me, you know, in, in my job today and, and, you know, things that I do in my life, I'm always trying to like connect people. I'm always trying to, you know, pull a team together. I'm always trying to find, you know, uh, people, you know, certain qualities and people and try to bring them all together so that way we can all be successful together. So that's, that's one of the first things that, you know, I, I, I take from playing sports and, and more, more specifically playing basketball. Another thing that, you know, I take from running and also take from basketball is kind of this, you know, this grind, this, this hard work that you do when no one's watching. Right. And this is what I meant earlier when I, when I said, I appreciated Kobe Bryant is, you know, people do the hard work when the lights aren't on. Right. And that's kind of what, what I take with me personally. And I, I think we've had these discussions in the past about, you know, doing the work before and after, you know, going to the gym when no one's not, you know, when people aren't going to the gym, and that's kind of what I do in, 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 in my life today. It's, you know, I'm doing things, you know, when people aren't paying attention to it because, you know, there's going to be that day when the game is being played and you're pulling a move out or you're, you know, you're hitting the game winning shot or, you know, you're deflecting the ball and, you know, that all comes from repetition and practice. Mm. Dan, that was that was. Uh, why do I we always talk so deep when uh when you and I speak, man? <laughs> you ask the deep questions, so I, you know. I, I try to I try to give you you know give you a good answer. Uh, man, I'm just happy that this one's recorded, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go, and ultimately, where do you want to go? Continue doing the same thing, you know, like hard work. You know, it's I, I've listened. You know, one thing that I I was thinking about as I listened to uh, some of the guests that you had on your podcast, I think the theme is very similar to all the things that uh, makes people successful, right? Mm. Like, you know, some people may say, "Oh, you know, I'm not that talented. Uh, you know, I'm not that special." 
but what I do do is work hard. Right. And Mm. I think that, you know, I think that is the same thing with me. Right. It's like what I do is the the one thing that I do, I can control is how hard I work and, um, you know, coming, coming to work every day or, you know, showing up at the gym every day early, you know, staying a little bit later than everybody else, you know, working harder than everybody else, feel like I can do better than everybody else, even though, you know, there may be, you know, some talented people out there is, is my mindset, right? And, and just continue to do the same thing that I do all the time, show up, work hard, uh, leave everything on the floor, and then go home and, and whatever is decided is decided. So mm-hmm. the, the, the most that I can control you know, is the effort, you know, and the energy that I put into anything. Yeah, man. And and I wholeheartedly agree to all those things that you said. And and that's such an astute observation that you have of the podcast. And and it's true. It's it's like um how to be successful podcast disguised in refereeing, right? Because it's like, okay, yeah, I I ref, but I mean, Chad Marchunk's not a ref, right? But that's my man, and, and he's a successful person in what he does. So, you know, I always find it worthwhile that if we could at least highlight all the attributes that makes a person successful, I, I just hope that it brings value to people that do listen to this. But I did want to get back to your basketball career. If you can pinpoint one moment that was the most sticky situation that you've ever had on the basketball court, what would it be? Wow. <clears throat> I mean, so, you know, you, you, you talked about playing in Farakaway. You know, and I, I played a lot of city ball when I was in high school, junior high school. You know, there were there were plenty of sticky situations. I mean, like I can't really I can't really think about anything at the moment, but there were definitely moments where you know you were you were the better team on the court, um, and and the other team didn't like that, right? So so you had to deal with those types of situations, um, especially when it's not your your court, right? Mm-hmm. So far away. You know, for someone like myself and my and the, and, the, and the crew that we ran with when we played basketball was, you know, we, we played in, in, in the rock, right? But we would always like to take our game, you know, to different places. Mm. You know, we didn't do a lot of organized basketball like that. We would, we would show up at other people's parks, right? Whether mm. it's, you know, um, you know, a local park in Brooklyn or, um, you know, West Forth or, you know, um, the Rutgers, right? We'd just go up there and we'd just show up. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we'd win. Sometimes we'd lose, but, you know, definitely when you show up in someone else's neighborhood and you're, 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 you're beating them, you know, it, it, sometimes it's tough to get out that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's still, that's still a thing. If you can pinpoint one moment and, you know, I wanted to say thank you for all the great times that I had playing basketball with you, man. I definitely consider some of the times that I shared with you on the basketball court has been some of my best moments of, of me playing. But if you could pinpoint one moment for yourself, what do you think is your best moment as a basketball player? Wow, probably playing at Hashra, which is which is really interesting because I met a lot of really good people there. I people that I consider friends that I played with there. Um, that's when. So when I was younger, I thought I was good at basketball, but when I played at Hashra, I really felt like I had control over my game, and I learned a lot from playing with you, playing with other people at at Hashra, and just you know continuing to refine my my game as I got older. So for me, what really pinpointed, I felt like some of the good times of, of basketball and, and where I felt like, you know, things were pivotal was definitely playing with you, right? You talked about, I brought you back into basketball. You brought me back into basketball, right? I had a lot of injuries when I played. I really gave up, you know, basketball. I, w- I would play it occasionally, but I really gave it up. You brought me back into the, the passion and love, you know, and, and the things that you can do on the basketball court was because of you, you know, you and I playing together often. So for me, it was probably those moments that you and I play together. God, man, why you got to be so – this made me realize how much <laughs> I, I just don't think about playing basketball anymore. I'm like so deeply embedded in it as a ref. But, um, you know, it's really funny. Sure. I just picked up a, a, a new NBA backboard for my backyard. I'm, I'm definitely going to be working on my jump shot because if I can't ref, I'm, I'm going to be working on my jump shot, man. Um, Practice, bro. Practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to take a long time, man. And, you know, I, I'll honestly say, man, I've had more thrills as a ref than than I could ever have in a basketball court. And that's really crazy, probably crazy for you to hear for me to say that. But, um, yeah, refing has been well, like a you know, crazy ride. What was that? Yeah, what was that? What was that one thing that you felt like you – you know, that, that, that was pivotal in your transition from being a player on the court to moving into to refereeing. What do you, what do you think was like a pivotal moment for me? That, that yeah, I mean, like, so, so going, yeah, so not, not really going, but like saying to yourself, like, all right, this is, here's what I'm going to be, you know, a ref versus a basketball player. Like, how did you start to see things differently? What was that one thing that, 
that kind of happened to you that said, all right, I'm not a basketball player anymore. Mm. I'm a referee. And I to look at it from a referee's uh, lens versus a, a player's lens. I think a couple of things that uh, dropped. So uh, I'll tell you one conversation that I had with one of my mentors. He was just talking about longevity in the game of basketball. And the way you get longevity is refing. And I never thought of it that way because, you know, we want to play. And, you know, as we go through changes physically, uh, we can't be as effective or we can't play in the same way that we used to play. You know, even when I met you, we were already in our late 20s. I played completely different when I was 15, and I definitely played completely different when I was in my early 20s. And then, you know, as you got later and, you know, at that time, you were going through a lot of injuries. So when I crystallized what he said in, in that moment, I started to think like, wow, man, I never get subbed out. I get to think. Another thing that happened to me was just the way you perceive the game. So, you know, just like you, you identify yourself as a shooter. I always identify myself as a point guard. So when I pass you the ball, I already know what role I have to play within the game. When you're refing, you're not watching the ball anymore. You're not, you're not going as a, as a spectator. You're, you're an active participant in the game. And there's something to be said that when you make a call and you make the right call and you do it efficiently, expediently, and you do it with such confidence, it's... It's like the perfect marriage to me of physical and mental, especially with the game that I love. And I think what really, 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 really flipped for me was when I started doing all, and and I was just talking about this the other day, and it's been prevalent in the last couple of podcasts that I recorded. A lot of the kids that, you know, I always thought had division one talent. I'll give you a perfect example. I think when this young man was in eighth grade, this kid was popping off, man. They were like, yo, that's Greg Anthony. So I'm like, I don't care who it is, man. This kid's crazy. He's off the hook. And now he plays for the Orlando Magic. And for me to see somebody grow like that, right, and to be on the same court, I guess it's like reliving what I always wish that I should have because, you know, I find me and you very similar is that we got our stride later in, in, in basketball life, right? So, like, I wish I played like that when, when it was really time, like when I was in high school and it counted, instead of doing it at the rec center. But at the same time, I don't regret it. So I think to answer your question, I think I got my basketball feel at a further and higher level because, you know, I feel like I never get off the court. I see all these amazing Division One athletes that that I've I've had the, the pleasure to ref. Like, I would have no business being on the court with them, but here I am on the court with them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like doing a game that, that really means something. And then just, I guess, like this whole movement of referee rant, I, I've been able to inspire a lot of people and, you know, I think it was important for me as a mission statement. You know, basketball has been such a big thing in your life. But, I mean, refs always get a bad rap, right? So I think, like, maybe, and that's why I asked you the question, were you surprised that I was going to be a ref? Because, you know, I, I like to be a swaggy person. I, you don't think of mm-hmm. being swaggy and, and dripping when, when you're a ref. But, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I want to invoke positive change for people to know that you know we're, we're just we care about the game just as much you know how much I love the game of basketball that passion is still there it's just sublimated into refereeing and you know I always thought that we belong we had a seat at the table just like coaches and players I, I just wanted everyone to understand within the basketball community with the sporting industry as a whole in general I just want them to know how much we care about the game because you know I think there's a big misconception that when we screw up a game Everyone wants to know that we're terrible and, and we're, we're the worst. But, you know, there ain't going to be nobody that feels worse than somebody that made the mistake, right? So just right. always remember that uh, when you think of referees and what they go through. And, you know, I have gotten the pleasure to ref or also just communicate with a lot of the top upper echelon referees, you know, across the country, around the world. And, you know, it's really good to, to, to just be around their presence because you can see how really far you can go in this refing game. And I don't know if I'm just being long-winded to tell you that maybe you should ref. It's, driving ain't that bad, but we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about that off-air, man. But um, Yeah, we'll talk about that off-air. I hope that answered <laughs> your question. You, man. I, no, that definitely did. And, I, you know, that was, you know, as you asked me the question about, you know, do you think I should be a ref? You know, I needed to kind of make that mental transition in my mind, and I just wanted to hear what were your thoughts. And, and thank you for enlightening me about, you know, your – you're processing about, you know, being a ref. So 
Yeah, appreciate I, it. I mean, even when you talk about just like, oh, you being in Rucker Park, like, you know what it's like to ref in Rucker Park? Oh, my God. They call me. <laughs> you know, what? yeah, I know. <laughs> I, forget what they, sure. I forget what they call. They call me Bruno Mars somewhere. <laughs> I forget what, what, what court it was. They're like, oh, you can call Bruno Mars. Like, all right, Bruno Mars, come on now. That's, that's the type. That's was the type. it on the microphone or was it like. Of course it, it was on the, the mic. Of course it was on the mic. And, you know, they, they, I just look oh, like I'm, and I'm not being myself. I got to be a little robotic in this situation. So. Right. It's right, really right, funny. Right, right. You know, basketball has meant so much to you. Um, you've played in so many different places. You've practiced so much. It, it, it's a big passion of yours. What does basketball mean to you? What is it given to you in your life? Well, it's given me my mindset, you know. Um, so early on when I, was a, when I was a kid playing basketball, I really didn't think about any of these things, right? I had coaches that used to tell me to come in, you know, early for the game and, and, and work on whatever, you know, the game was whatever the move was and um, I would go and run and do something else as I got older and you know we started I started to take basketball a little bit more serious um, I started to realize you know uh, yeah there are people out there that are just going to show up for the game and, and dominate you know and, and do well but you know for someone like myself I needed to put the work in you know my brother Devin you know taught me a lot about that he used to he used to do a lot of practicing when people weren't paying attention and when someone noticed him like, you know, passing kind of like what you talked about with the polls and, and passing, you know, when he used to do a lot of things by himself, people used to make fun of him, you know, and then a year later, you know, he, <laughs> no one was making fun of him. Right. So I kind of, you know, I saw that and I wanted that, I wanted that type of, you know, uh, success in, in basketball. So, um, so continuing to practice, continuing to hone my craft, continuing to get better. I talked about, you know, practicing my jump shot and, and trying it from different areas and different places and things like that. I kind of just, you know, took, took what I learned in basketball, the successes that I've had in basketball, and just converted that into my real life and, and you know, playing with teams, you know, playing, um, you know, doing a lot of the practicing, you know, identifying the right people on your team, the competitiveness, you know, how do you uh, continue to be competitive outside of of the basketball court, you know, I kind of take a lot of that and I put it into, into my real life. And, you know, I always reflect on, on some of those ideas uh, whenever I'm in a situation, you know, personally. Man, that was well said, man. And, you know, I, I want to wish you and your family happy holidays. Uh, and, you know, special shout out to Stephanie, man. I haven't heard from her. I'm, I hope she's doing well and your, your kids, man. I'm happy to see you in good health. Let's not make, wait for another podcast to, to stay in touch, man. I forgot how much, um, how much you're like my soulmate when it when it comes to just talking, man. <laughs> I, I listen. I always knew that, man. We're we're soulmates, even though we don't talk for for a couple of years. We're still we're still connected, right? So so yeah. I appreciate talking to you, man. It was, it was great. Yeah, man. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I just you know I really want people to stay healthy out there. You know this this coronavirus um, is is definitely serious on so many different levels. Um, you know, so you know for me today, right now, in this moment. Um, you know, I, I really want people to, you know, to continue to, to stay safe, socially distance, you know, try to be healthy. I, like I, I said earlier, I think the, the, you know, the sun is coming out um, soon. If, you know, people just be a little bit more patient um, and, and wait for that to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we can save a lot of lives and, and people can, can still be healthy. Yeah, I hope so, too. And, and um, yeah, like I said, hopefully I'll see you on the other side. We'll definitely do another part two in 2021. But for Chad Marchong, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.